Hello and welcome to the Flowerpot podcast from the National Botanic Garden of Wales. My name's Bruce Langridge and my guest today is Cheryl Beer, an environmental sound artist. Hello Cheryl. Hello Bruce, nice to see you. Nice to see you again because we've known each other for a long, long time, haven't yes, we? Yes, we have, yeah, and it's great to be here in the potting shed with you. Now we're going to be t- chatting today about your work about listening to trees. Mm-hmm. Which is something people go, what? 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 That's strange. <laughs> but uh, the reason you listen to trees is because you, you've had a very interesting life journey, and uh, which deals with you once being a musician, then having hearing loss, and then developing through that hearing loss the way you started to listen again. And I think what you've been through, I think, can be really beneficial, not only for other people to hear your story, uh, but it is also your, your kind of helping to alert people to a beautiful Welsh resource, which is our Atlantic or temperate rainforest. Mm. So we've got a very interesting uh, story to tell here. And if you don't mind, I just want to kind of start a little bit early about how we met. Because for many years, you used to put on concerts and perform here at the National Botanic Garden of Wales, didn't you? That's right. Yes, I was the director of Celtic Women Fest. And I did a children's story trail here as well for about three years and have been a musician all my life. Literally, I, my first appearance on stage was when I was five at the London Palladium. Oh, wow. Yes, uh, with Ronnie Corbett. I yeah. was a, a child extra. And uh, so my whole entire life has been around performance. I learned guitar when I was about 13 and started writing songs got published at 17 so I'd, I'd been a touring musician and then when I moved here to West Wales became very very drawn to this space at the garden is so intensely magical it's just so incredible here and actually David Hardy approached me and said would you um, like to perform here and I said well, actually rather than just me come and perform here why don't we open this up as a space to bring the arts in more kind of holistically and it started with a with a, with a very big community project called Celtic Women where uh, we had children girls women teenagers older women all from different walks of music who came together in the great glass house and as a result of that then we put on winter concerts here and then we put on the big festival in the tent every summer so yeah that was my life it is really strange when I look back at how my life was because you know, I'd be performing at Plymouth Soundwaves to 15,000 people. And then when I lost my hearing bruise, I couldn't come out of my bedroom. I, my, my world shrunk from the size of the universe to the size of a pea. You know, it was literally overnight. My world just went and shrunk, uh, which was, you know, quite devastating at the time. Now, Cheryl, let's just go back to this one because this was about four years ago, wasn't it? Well, that was six years ago now, Bruce. Six years yes, ago. yeah, that was happened overnight six years ago. Let's just give people a bit of a flavour about how you how this came about. So you're busy performing, you've been you've been you were always really busy, Cheryl. Yes. You were always doing stuff. You <laughs> yes. had things and loads of different pies. Yes. Uh, and not only performing but also putting other people on, which yes. is even probably more stressful than actually performing yourself, I dare say. And I seem to remember <laughs> that you one of the uh events you put on here was probably the biggest all women uh, cast list for a festival 
in was, Europe. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was the biggest women's music festival in Europe. We had over 50 acts, and some of those acts were 100 women in a choir. So, you wow. know, it was absolutely huge. And it took about six months to organise this kind of three-day event. Um, and it was just magical. People came from Ireland, Scotland, you know, everybody wanted to come and be part of it. And so if everybody, anybody that wanted to come, I would try and include them. Yeah. And that's how I didn't kind of purposely say we're going to be the, <laughs> going to be the <laughs> biggest one in Europe. It's just I can't say no to people. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we had poets, we had uh, musicians, rappers, all, all different genres. Dancers even we had, you know, uh, that would come and share with each other here at the garden and it was just such a beautiful beautiful space because as well um even though the garden you know literally is beautiful but you've got fantastic access built in to your structures your your strategic your strategies here are very inclusive so to put on an event here is you know much easier than perhaps somewhere somewhere else because you have got eco little buggies that can bring people up You've got access to the toilets and everything is eco-friendly and everything is person-friendly. So it was much easier to have a huge event here, even though we didn't know it was going to be huge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of just grew, like your plants, really. Yeah. You know, we planted the seeds and we let it see where it went, you know. And you and, you and I kind of met a little bit more because I was running a fungus day. Yes. Uh, this is 2013 or something. And wow. you uh, put on, which I love calling it, a one-woman opera. <laughs> to do called the tethered fairy ring yes yeah which you did uh because you're inspired by the fungi and the work we're doing here yes, yeah. and you performed in the great glass house with a ukulele that's right yes and uh with a group of women from planetly is this right um no no actually that was open to what, what happened with that um the tethered fairy ring was a um, symphonic poem for ukulele which is a yeah. musician's tongue-in-cheek because a symphonic poem is the thing that the orchestra plays before the opera comes on. The orchestra plays the whole opera in about yeah. 20 minutes while you're waiting. They're telling the whole story through music in a whole orchestra. Oh, yeah. So a symphonic poem for one ukulele is a bit of a joke, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and that was notated for me by Susan, the late Susan Berry, yeah. who I met here at the garden. She was teaching harp here and had her harpists in the gallery. And we met here when we were rehearsing. And what uh, to, to kind of um, when you approached me, what we did was to to reach that out as a strategy of reaching out. We did a sewing project, if you remember. I do. And everybody from a whale, around Wales sewed a little fairy patch. Yeah. And then a group, an arts group, internationally came into the before the event. They came into the uh, glass house, and we had about twenty people sewing it into a huge storytelling quilt. Yeah, beautiful. But hundreds of people had taken part. There were hundreds of little. Uh, patches that people had made. Some had put made Reiki patches. They put little gifts inside the patch. And then when we did the event, you said to people, "Genius! <laughs> if you come dressed as a, a fairy or an elf, you can come in for free." <laughs> well, well, good marketing move. And, and also, we gave um, anybody who'd made a patch came in for free as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. So we had this huge amount of people come, and mostly dressed as fairy and elves <laughs> for National Fungi Day. And then I performed. The tethered fairy ring. It was a magical time. But when I lost my hearing, Bruce, 
I can't, I, I can't be in those kind of environments anymore. No. So I went from somebody, I'm going to get a bit teary because mm. that's why I don't talk about it really. Because if you can imagine how I love people and I love holding space for people to be the best they can and and being able to hold space for that many people to grow and to connect with the environment here and to just be and to go from that to this very, very tiny world as it was six you know six years ago and it has grown from there it was it was the most challenging thing I've ever faced in my life I was at a gig in Switzerland up a very very high mountain and I felt disorientated when I was there to be honest and on the way home I had to stop and stay at a friend's when um, driving back from the airport because I just felt really oh gosh I did I discombobulated I couldn't put my finger on it came home went to bed woke up three days later and I thought that's strange that the birds not singing this morning you know wh- why are the birds not singing well of course they were but I couldn't hear them and then all I could hear was this noise in my head this constant 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 noise in my head was it the telly was it the fire alarm was it the fridge and I was frantic trying to find it and I couldn't find it because my lost hearing had been replaced by very invasive tinnitus, which became hyperacusis, a sound sensitivity. And I now have a, a, a complete c- cacophony of noise in my head constantly and have had since that day, which, if I'm not careful, can really, you know, that can really be a challenge to to overcome, mm. you know. And, yeah, so so it, it it's funny how your life literally overnight can go from you know, being surrounded by hundreds and thousands of people to just being alone. And you you were kind of in a trapped in your silence or this this aggravated sound silence for nine months, is that right? Yeah, well the thing is that there is no such thing as silence for me anymore. And so I fought that at first. I kept fighting it and trying to find all these magic cures, you know. Uh, because you can on the internet, there's all these, and none of them work, Bruce. You know, oh. they're just taking your money. You yeah. know, none of them worked for me. And I was waiting with the NHS um, to get hearing aids, isn't it? And the whole process took about nine months. And I think it was trying to accept that this was the new baseline. I was searching for silence. Oh, my days, silence would be just a haven, you know. Um, but it just isn't, this is the new this is the new baseline this noisy baseline is is how my life is now isn't it yeah and then i um was living in this little cottage in west wales at the time opposite a woods and that became my savior bruce the woods became my savior oh go on well it's i I couldn't bear to be like right now it's difficult for me because there's i can hear some noise in the background you know and it kind of my with these hearing aids it picks that up that's louder than my voice at the moment. Okay. Oh, it's not. It's, so, to me, it's, not, it's just in the very background. Yeah. And we are, in fact, sat in a polytunnel, aren't we? Absolutely. Away from and, the main and this garden. is how it is for me. That The way I hear is, like, completely upside down. It's just... It, there's no rhyme or reason with it. And my only sort of solace at the time was to go to the woods. And I realised if I focused on my other senses, that I could distract from uh, this constant noise in my head so if I was paddling in the little stream with my bare feet 
or laying on the moss or smelling the bluebells mm. or pressing my face against a tree you know if i was if i was immersed in nature i just felt human again you know the more i immersed myself in nature the more connected i felt to self and strangely enough when i was a child i spent many 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 days in nature it was it was my court my mum used to say to me when i was little why can't you be up like other children and have toys under your bed my bed was full of like acorns and twigs <laughs> and leaves and little stones and shells. Bit like me and, then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I, I, I wanted to have nature with me all the time, you know, even yeah. as a three or four year old. And it's like in my healing, it was almost a return to the core self in that healing, being with nature. Yeah. And so when I got my hearing aids, and thank you for the NA, you know, for the NHS, thank yeah. you. Glangwilly, you know, Glangwilly Hospital, thank you to the audiology department, because I don't know how I would have, when I when I put those hearing aids in, oh, it, it was like, it's like, you know, Houston, we are back online, you know, it's like, right. it was like being tuned back into the mothership once, you know, and it's like that every night when I take them out, I'm offline, and when I put them back in, I'm tuned back into the mothership, you know, it's very, it's, my hearing aids are like a part of me now, they are, they're not hearing aids, they're, they're, Part of, as much a part of me as any other part. Do they cancel out the sound of the, the harsh no, sounds? No, they don't cancel it out. But what it does is, obviously, it repl- I've got hearing loss, so my hearing aids replace some of my hearing loss, which means I'm hearing out here louder, outside of myself louder, which sort of distracts from the inner sound. As soon as they come off, it's unbearable. I never sleep. You know, I look absolutely awful because I sleep about three hours a night, maybe three or four hours oh. a night for the last six years. My tinnitus wakes me up in the night. It's so aggressive. It's like um, whiplash without moving. You know, it's 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 like that in the night, you know, and it just mm. wakes me up suddenly. There's there's and I can't sleep. It's, it's very difficult to have an ordinary pattern of life with, you know, when the tinnitus is this severe. But I've worked around it. Okay. And that's what I would say to anybody, really, is actually you can work, if you work with what's happening to your body, rather than try and fight it. That, for me, that was that was the saving grace. And so when I got my hearing aids, and I could hear the trees rustling, and I could hear birds singing, oh, the birds. Yeah, yeah. When I could hear that, I realised how important those things. I had a new visceral sense of nature, and it's and the sound of nature and how important it was. And I started to think about people, because I I run a dementia-friendly radio station. I've done that for quite a few years, about 10 years now. Um, And I realised that nature sounds, you know, like if somebody's uh, lived their entire life in a rural setting, for instance, and then they go into a care home, which is all uh, buffer machines, the television's on all the time. It's a clinical, very clinical environment they've lost all of that natural backdrop that natural backdrop of sound that they used to wake up to all their life and we know that sound promotes memory so you're somebody goes somebody who's living with dementia for instance goes into a dementia friendly care home loses the backdrop of environmental sound that might actually cue their memory for them and and so i started working collating because I'd been a musician all my life, I had a studio in my house, I had all this equipment and skills. How could I use them in a new way 
to help others in the way that it had helped me. And that's how I started moving into um, environmental sound as an artist. How, how could I apply my skills and my creativity in a way that would bring that to others to help them? Yeah. So that's led you on a journey which has produced oh, such magical new sounds, certainly for me. I'm someone who loves listening to sound. And uh, I've been watching your journey all the way along because um, I, I, I have always enjoyed sound artists. I, I go for a walk in the countryside. I like to listen to different sounds uh, or even record little sounds. I never know what to do with them, but I'm always recording <laughs> them. Uh, but you've taken this journey, which I think has just been such a fascinating journey and has created this wonderful project, which you launched here at the Botanic Garden in June. Yes, yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about that? Well, that, the project that launched in, in June is a, was a commission with Unlimited, a main commission with Unlimited, funded by the Arts Council of Wales and supported by Disability Arts Cymru and yourselves and Coid Cadu. So I drew together a partnership and Canacoid is Song of the Trees. So there's sort of a gap between, you know, I was collating these nature narratives for older people. Then the pandemic came and I had a grant to... Um, train other sound artists to make na nature narratives for older people in care homes across Wales. Did a huge project, actually. We had um, 8,000 people across Wales involved in that project with nature sound because people couldn't get outside generally, mm. could they, during the no. pandemic? No. But I spent a lot of time outside, and the more time I spent outside, I started thinking to myself, isn't it magical how these hearing aids have given me this new life? And then I thought, well, yeah, but what, what, what are my hearing aids? What technology is making my hearing aids work? And how would it be if that technology became the art? You know, instead of supporting me to be an artist, could my hearing aids be part of my artistic process? And that, and that happened to me while I was in the woods. I started <laughs> thinking that, you know, because you've got the recorder on and you're yeah, recording yeah, yeah. sound and you're sat there in the woods and it just sort of came to me. And I started looking into the technology they use in hearing aid tests. It's called spectral frequency, you know, the diagram. It measures what sounds are miss, what hearing ability is missing mm -hmm. so that it can correct that digitally. So it uses digital sound and spectral frequency to measure your hearing loss. It's also a technology used by sound engineers who want to take out certain sounds or make certain singers sound better, <laughs> or take out certain frequencies. It's just like those programs you watch about an album you really like, and you've got some <laughs> some guy there with his big technical equipment going up and down with his knobs and things yes, like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, yeah, and it's the, you know, the, it's the graph. Yeah, okay? yeah. So I realised that what that, even though that's a technology that's used to measure absence, well, it's also measuring presence, isn't it? It's measuring what is there to yeah. determine what isn't. Yeah. So if I turned that on its head, would there be a way of using that visualisation of sound to create art? And again, during the pandemic, I applied for a mentorship with ADU Creative Consultancy, again, funded by the Arts Council of Wales. What a privilege. Four months of research and development. And I, I, I had decided, because nature came to me in my hour of need, in my crisis, that I wanted to place my work as a sound artist within areas of natural distress 
and I live near the flood defence walls on the on the coastal path, the Millennium Coastal Path. And so I based the work there. And it, uh, originally, when I went to do the research, I was going to create visual art from the sound of the sea as it came into the flood defence walls to raise awareness of eroding shorelines. And I started doing that, and I did do it, and I encapsulated the uh, visualisation of art within glass, in little glass mosaics. And you can see that work, it's on my website, I kept it on there because it kind of tells part of my story. But as I was doing that, as I was working with this visualisation of sound, these diagrams, I was like, hang on a minute, I'm measuring pitch here. I'm not just measuring what I'm I'm not just measuring sound I'm measuring the pitch of the sound each of these peaks is me- measuring the pitch of the sound so I took a single wave and I slowed it down to the slowest I could possibly get it and measured it with the uh, spectral frequency took the pitch from that and then notated that into music oh I didn't know you'd done that yeah so that that was the start of it that was my aha moment and then I played it on the keyboards. And when I played it back, and it's all on my website, you can see it there. When I played it back, it was haunting, Bruce. It was like, um, it seemed to me to be like the calling from a temple, you know, in India. When I was, I used to work, I volunteered in India, uh, working with children, doing storytelling and music in my youth. And the ashram would have this, you know, this call in the morning and mm-hmm. a prayer time. And it felt like that. I felt, I literally felt, this is a calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. Um, other artists that were on that um, mentorship with me said they felt, oh, no, it's the mermaid siren. It's the sirens calling the sailors. Mm-hmm. Someone said, no, that's a warning from the sea of what we're doing. But so it's different things for different people. But for me in that moment, in that moment there, I felt this is where I need to be. This is what I need to be working on. And the more I worked on it, of course, the deeper I became involved in it. And I decided then that I wanted to see, would there be a way that I could use more, diff- lots of different sonic equipment um, that's used in health? And can I repurpose that? In the way that I'd repurpose the technology that fuels hearing aids, yeah. would I be able to repurpose electronic stethoscopes or, you know, uh, uh, or um, perspiration machines or, you know, what, what, what would I be able to repurpose? And I then um, got the main commission for Song of the Trees to work uh, in the rainforests of Wales. But there was a research element of that. Actually, you came to the... Um, I did a sharing of the research element. That's right. Online and yeah, that's right. That. Yes. Uh, so you were in yeah. right from the beginning. It's great. And I was trying that. Some of the equipment didn't work, okay? And that's yeah. the way it is, isn't it? You yeah. know, and and you have to fail at things to learn. Yeah. Um, or it failed at first and you had to find another way. And I, and I um, found a way of measuring the... Uh, the conductivity within the tree trunk from the xylem and phloem tubes and visualizing that and, to and get we, the pitch just let's just go back a little bit for those who don't know that so the xylem and phloem are inside a tree trunk sorry. so okay so can you tell me what the xylem's doing carrying water back and, and the phloem way and the phloem is carrying in the water all the mineral sorts um, proteins, everything the tree needs, and it goes two ways. So that causes a conductivity, the mineral salts in the water, um, and that's the popping noise, the vibrational noise within inside the, 
that you can hear inside the tube. If you had a stethoscope and you were listening to the tree, um, would you hear that? You'd need an, a very strong electronic stethoscope okay. to, to hear that. Um, but with my equipment, I measure that conductivity from root to leaf. Right. And convert that into digital and visual sound, which I then take back to my studio and compose into music, notated, and have a musician play it for me. Because on that webinar, you uh, you did a, it was a type of piece, Lily, wasn't it, I think? Yes, yeah. And the piece of music you played then was like, oh, my God, wow, that's gorgeous. Yeah, I know. And, and I was blown away by it because you think, oh, it's going to be totally random. Well, it is totally random, but there is a beauty in the random, <laughs> the, the randomness of it. It was. You know, it's yeah. kind of, in music, we tend to have an introduction and then, you know, a crescendo and then, and, you know, and then we have like a, different movements and we have an ending you know we have different rules that we have to follow there's no rules with a tree it's just constant you know yeah constantly constant just constantly uh giving out this vibration and all sound is vibration bruce you know all sound yeah. so canacoid became um a sim- it became a symphony within the process of the work i let the work inform me because i wasn't really sure what i was going to end up with you know when i went into the rainforest and i made a decision i thought i want to base this work in rainforests you know i want to be in nature in distress and i went into google where is the nearest rainforest to me uh, you know and it said north wales and i was like what do you mean north wales you know? so, which was fantastic so i spent a lot of time um, at these little pockets of rainforest, which of course at one point in time were all joined together, Bruce. They were all one rainforest many, many years ago. These are called temperate rainforests, aren't yes, they? Yes, that's to right. Well, all Celtic the... rainforests, that's yeah. what the Kaidu, uh, named. So they're not uh, like the Amazon rainforest, they're temperate rainforests. And the moss in the te- in the temperate rainforest is carbon dated back 10,000 years. Wow. Yeah. And I worked with that moss. I had the yeah. great privilege of working with that moss. So when, when you say that, uh, Cheryl, what does that, what does that, what does that kind of mean? Like the, 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 mo- the moss roots or is it just the, is it, is it just the, the remains of the moss there or the living moss? They can carbon date the plant. So it's been regenerating itself for 10,000 years like they can carbon date a tree and say to you oh yes you know that yew tree is 5,000 years old because they can carbon date say like with a yew tree you know it kind of renews itself doesn't it so it just keeps growing its branches down into you know it keeps renewing itself so the branch you see might not be the one that was there yes that's right but the tree is that that old so the moss has been basically when the the glaciers disappeared mm. from Britain mm. and the first colonising mm. species took over, the mosses moved in and they've been basically there ever yeah. since. Yeah, isn't that amazing? But there's only five little pockets left in yeah. Wales. Yeah, and actually the moss isn't at them all, wow. you know. I mean... That's it's, delicate, it's, isn't it? That's well, it's fragile. devastating and that's why I wanted to raise awareness of the rainforest in a very gentle and loving way. I yeah. think before people are going to save something... First of all, they have to know about it yeah. and then they have to fall in love with it. Yes. And so in a way, my work is a love song from the rainforest in some ways. It's a calling from the heart of the trees and the ferns and the moss um, to the hearts of humanity to raise awareness. And, you know, it has done that. It's been incredible. It's had an incredible outcome far beyond what I could have ever imagined thanks to working in partnership with different organizations when we did the launch here we i invited um 
all the kind of key players in different organisations that I thought would be able to raise awareness through the work. And in particular, Wales Arts International and Disability Arts Cymru, through the Arts Council of Wales and the Welsh Government, um, have done a tremendous, you know, have been amazing in spreading that word. Like Canacoid, I made these little sort of biodegradable QR codes that you can access uh, the symphony through. And they became gifts in the goodie bags at the welcome. I've got one. And they became gifts in the goodie bags at the welcome uh, committee of yeah. the Commonwealth Games. Wow. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's, that's amazing. That is amazing. Isn't it? So all those people at the Commonwealth Games got to know about the rainforests of Wales. And I just had confirmation from the Prime Minister's office. No comment there. <laughs> no, which one? <laughs> we both just looked at each other there, don't we? Uh, but I'm working with an organisation called GREAT, in capital letters, who are designing a garden in Qatar for the World Cup, Football, and they and yeah. they and they've asked me to include canicoid as part of the the British garden to represent Wales in the World Cup in Qatar. Cheryl, that's brilliant. You know, it's incredible, isn't it? And what it is is that I think that the work speaks itself. It's it's yeah. allowing the trees to sing their song and to tell their story themselves. Yeah. And I suppose as well, there's something in my own story that resonates with people that you know i was i'm completely broken bruce i was you know i'm still broken but in that in in between those in between the bits you know in the broken bits new growth has come and i suppose perhaps that story as well as you know there's something about the story of the rainforests and its fragility and my own that kind of that, that that works as a whole isn't it absolutely now, you've also as well given us a legacy here, haven't you? Because there are several trees mm-hmm. that have come down from which wood? Well, uh, Coid Cadu arranged it. They came down from Coid Reed, and that was Kirsten Manley. She Where, where's that, that. That's up in North Wales, yeah. um, in Mynturog, not too far from Dogetlai. People tend to know where Dogetlai is. Yeah. And we, that went through, we went through a very long process. Um, it was the Celtic Rainforest Project, which is Coid Cadu, Snowdonia National Trust, RSPB, the Wildlife Society, and somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Okay, you're doing well. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's a whole group of organisations that care about the environment. And the, the, the trees were from seedlings from Coid Venery that had been grown in the Snowdonia Trust nurseries. And we've, you've got a Woods of the World here. Arboretum now rebranded. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't have the trees from the rainforests of Wales. No. So we arranged for, uh, through Canacoid, to bring those here so that they will be part, you know, to connect the mycelium from those trees to your trees yeah. here. And that, and we came to see them here, didn't we? We saw them growing, doing very well in the nursery here. That's right, because they had to be uh, in quarantine or something mm. because all our vegetation, even from the most beautiful places ever, they still have to be quarantined here because we have a... We're worried about diseases coming in. Mm. So I don't know if they've been planted out yet, but when they are planted out, I think we should have a little a story about day. that as well. And also, of course, you've got a permanent sign here at the oak tree yeah. uh, where people can scan in. It's like a portal to the rainforests of Wales where they can scan in and come and listen to the symphony. And I've done it as an audio visual so that when you're listening, you get to see the trees that you're listening to. And that's in the stable block, in the lawn just in front of the stable block. Uh, for those who come here, so bring your phone. QR code, dead easy nowadays. 
just point your phone at it, don't you? And it just yeah. lights and it comes up. Amazing. Yes. When you, when you come in, the first thing that happens is it asks you which language would you like. Yeah. So it asks you if you want English, Welsh, or British Sign Language. It felt really important to me that access for uh, you know I don't want to make work that's for, just for hearing people. That would be yeah. ironic. So I went. I'm, I partnered up with Nestle Deaf Centre, who are amazing, really supportive. Kaz there is just amazing, and gave me support in how to make the the work accessible. For hearing for deaf for the deaf community yeah and so when you come in when you if you, when you scan whichever one you scan you'll get the the full symphony and underneath that then there's a video that tells you about how to access the symphony through vibration how to convert the music back to the vibration that would have been inside the tree by using a little vibration box and it's all explained there and then there are different ways to experience it you can experience it through a dancer fiona winter moves not dances to the music but moves with the actual biorhythms that's beautiful she was at your launch wasn't yes, she? she yes she was yes. yes yeah and um and then i did a little experiment with ink drops which that was an idea from kaz and from johnny Cotson. Um, who was one of my mentors on the project and actually who I'm working with now for the Here We Are project. Um, actually, he, as a result of that, as um, I joined a project with him yeah. uh, to create a deaf uh, creative manifesto for Wales, working with deaf creatives across Wales to, to make that happen. Because I do feel it's really important, not just for me to be like, you know, developing my practice as an artist, and I'm still learning every day, but to to clear a path to bring others with me. And I suppose it's just what I've always done, Bruce, isn't it? Yeah. You know, um, and I can do it in a small way. I can't do it in I can't do it in the way that I used to do it. But I can still campaign. I can still make a difference for people. I can still hold space for people to be, you know, that to grow into their creativity i can still do that but i just need to find new ways of doing it yeah and as someone who again who loves sound art and what i really admire about you because i i used to buy cds of sound art that's probably me and about 50 others in the whole world are probably biased (laughs) (laughs) but you because of your contacts and because of who you are your warm personality as well is really important i think with all this you've been able to reach people who would never if you said oh i'm going to talk to you about sound art probably look at you with a complete blank and go well, I want to get out of here yeah but, but you've made it accessible haven't you yeah I think it. that I really see that I think it's been a wonderful triumph of you in doing that thank you because it's very unusual that these unusual kind of uh, art forms can actually reach people who aren't in the know about it all there's a big growth in it though now it's, yeah. it seems to have taken off um you know People are much more aware, much more becoming, thankfully, with the crisis, becoming much more environmentally aware. Yeah. Um, and I think during the pandemic, nature became such a uh, a healing thing for, for all of us. When you're told you can only go for one walk a day, that walk suddenly becomes a precious gift and you notice things about it more than you might have done before the pandemic, isn't it? Yeah. So I think it's a kind of growing field um, within ecology generally. And of course, noise pollution. You know, here we are in the garden here, and we we can hear noises and sounds That's from right. uh, traffic and aeroplanes. You know, that are miles away from us. Yeah. So I think there's a kind of more of a recognition that we do need to, as as a society, as a global society, you know, as humanity, to kind of pull back a bit, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and take a look at how we're behaving. You know, we'll pull back quite a lot. <laughs> you know. 
but I mean, I don't, I, my, even though I kind of say about my work being a campaign, that's what, what my key sort of aims in my work are to, to raise awareness of the fragility of the environment in a way that connects you, heart connects you to, to that. Yeah. And also to deconstruct negative stereotypes around hearing loss and particularly with my own age group because um, I was part of a piece of research that was done by a consultant in Harley Street and the Times newspaper. And it showed that across Europe, um, the Brits are least likely to wear hearing aids in their 50s when they start to lose their hearing. And they found a correlation between uh, hearing loss and dementia. So they found that people who do correct their hearing in their 50s and 60s are less likely to get dementia. They, they've actually found a scientific correlation. Really? So I was part of that research. So I yeah. feel it's really important to kind of make hearing aids more trendy. Yeah, <laughs> do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. To kind of say, do you know what? It will change your life yeah. if you put them on. Look at how it gave me my life back. And it could do the same for you, not just in the now, but actually it could help you down the line as well. You're not the first person to say this in some ways. I've not met anyone who's had your quite dramatic story, but a few people I know who probably listened to really loud music years ago have t chronic t tinnitus. I've had hearing aids as well, and it's really helped them out. Mm. So, I, but again, people don't even know this exists. Mm. So this is a really good thing you're doing. And also what I really like is you're really trying to get people just to listen as well. Mm. That's a really important thing. Even as we're in this little polytunnel now, you know, I've been aware of the little hissing hose pipe, which keeps going off every five minutes. <laughs> There's a lovely little bird that's been singing to us. I can hear the little rustles from the leaves outside, the creaking of the polytunnel, yeah. the noisy lorry whatever that's doing over there someone was hitting something for a little bit and a little bit of conversation with people walking past from it's kind of it's what you need to do is listen and i love the way as well that you orally observed trees which take up water at different lengths and it changes the way they make a vibration or or, or the sounds they make in there mm -hmm. that was interesting because you said there was a was it a rowan tree yes. that, that was growing on an oak tree or a dead Yes, oscillated onto the oak tree. So it was a that was a coitlinerk, and it's quite high up. So where the tree was was the land had fallen away behind it, into sort of like a ravine, and it would have fallen to its doom. Except it had oscillated to an oak tree, which means its roots were being held by the roots of the oak tree. What I love about that is, is the oak tree didn't say, oh, I'm terribly sorry, you're not an oak tree, off you go down into the ravine. You know, yeah. It doesn't matter with trees, they'll save you, you're part of the forest. And I just, I love that, there's so much we can learn from from trees. And this rowan, very much, rowans are known, aren't they, for being able to grow in areas where there isn't a lot of water. So yeah. it was quite odd measuring the biorhythms of that tree because there were maybe 15 minutes with no sound at all. And I was like, is the equipment working? <laughs> you know, cool. what's going on? And I've got my hearing assistant, Alison Williams, who's just a beautiful human being. She came with me because I don't know if a tree is falling or there's somebody behind me or, you know, and she can notice things perhaps that I might not. So it's brilliant. It was brilliant to have her with me. And this rowan tree was in the middle of making its sound through the biorhythms when a low-flying RAF fighter pilot came over. You know, they do the trial runs. Oh, yeah. So loud, so loud. I've never heard anything so loud in my life. Skimming the top of the forest and going off again. And the and the biorhythms of that tree, when that noise came, stopped abruptly. 
And when the noise left, it started again. Now, you know, you can't say that's just one incident. You know, you can't say that's not a scientific evidence. You know, that's not enough yeah. scientific evidence, Gerald. So I went, obviously, and did research afterwards. And there's a lot of research shows that the impact of, there is an impact on trees in terms of loud sound in two ways. Firstly, the loud sound puts off all of the small animals in the forest um, mm. and, and sort of um, either they leave or, you know, and so that disrupts the ecology of the forest, which then means that the trees die. Um, or actually the trees themselves are affected by loud noise. And there's lots of research papers about that now. There's much more of an acknowledgement of that. And I, you know, we witnessed that firsthand. I recorded it. I've got it, you know, I've got it recorded. And also when I was in um, the uh, Ellen Valley, there's a patch of rainforest there. That's in Wales, isn't it? Yes, yeah. We, had a, we knew this about, so we'd had that experience with trees. I was working with a huge tree and it was early morning, but there were no, there's no bird song. There's no bird song at all there, you know. And then we started the tree and I, I, I put it live and the sound is, the sound was live in the forest. And, you, and I've recorded it. I didn't really hear it clearly until I got into the studio. A bird starts joining in with the tree. As it does, other birds join in with it. So the birds will start singing. And then the actual type of notes then if you like coming from the vibrational notes coming from the tree changed with the birds oh. so there was actually a response from the tree to the birds again not scientific it just happened once but i have a, a recording of it you know we, and it's like oh my goodness me you know the trees responded to the birds and then oh. i so we were like well how comes there isn't any but what where is the bird song why is there such a deficit of bird song at um Camelon is how we'd say it in English or Camelon in Welsh. And so I went to see the science officer in the information centre and his name's Tom Jones. You won't forget that name. <laughs> young man there, very lovely young man. And he told me about a piece of research that was happening there about the disruption of the ecology in that area and how they're working with farmers to put it back. Because basically what happened was that there was an overgrowth of fern in that forest, in that rainforest, a complete overgrowth of fern bracken then mm -hmm. which made so much shade that it killed off all the insects and because it killed off the insects it killed off the small mammals and um it was breaking down the the ecosystem yeah. so they started working with local farmers and they put sheep into the forests to eat back some of the fern and the bracken but the, you know what sheep are like they just went nuts and <laughs> it right down to the floor yeah um and the same the reverse happened there so there wasn't enough shade yeah. So at the moment, they've got cows in the rainforest, oh, yeah. and that's brought back the birds. So it's bringing back, it shows that it's bringing back it's the insects and the mammals, small mammals and birds. So that's how, Bruce, cows yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> have inspired birdsong in the rainforests of Wales. I love that. <laughs> hey, Gerald. So tell me what's, what's next. I mean, you've, you've just been featuring the Senef as well wasn't that's you? right yes that was for the launch that it became part of the visitors tour canicoids at the zenith for two weeks toured with hijinks theater went to the millennium center um, i've been to uh the orkney islands with um a project organized by dash which was amazing to to do that as part of the tate tate gallery tate associated galleries yeah um so yeah, it's just we've just come into the end of what's. I was at Green Week in Pontypool. The the work was, you know. Yeah. 
and obviously at the moment in these conversations now about the work going over to Qatar. Um, also, I was approached by the Kennedy Center, uh, yeah. and um, this is what this is in America. This is yeah, a, yeah, 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 right, okay. Yeah. So the Kennedy Center are looking at whether or not they might incorporate it into um, a tree installation that they're doing to celebrate Kennedy. So you know, it's going, it's kind of just naturally going sort of international, really. Oh, that is, I- am- that is amazing. <laughs> well, I was about to say what's next, and I thought, wow, my goodness me, you, well, you, this is going on and I on. I don't really know. Is yeah. this the truth? It's just responding. Although I do know, I kind, I've, I've, I'm been talking to T. Kerr, who are uh, funded by the Arts Council of Wales to promote Welsh music. And what I would like, this is my vision, okay? This is my vision. So I don't know if it's going to happen, but my my dream, my vision is that I work with, I've met this through Tika, I've met this amazing orchestrator, Lloyd Coleman, and I would like him and I to work together to music map the instruments that I am still able to listen to without pain. Yeah. And then we orchestrate the first movement of Canacoid, uh, from Coid Velenried, the life cycle of an acorn, yeah. and that that became like an anthem for the new National Forest of Wales. That's my vision. Oh, wow. Think big, kid. Well, That's I, good. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's yeah. because Coid Velenried is actually even named in the Mabinogion, Bruce. It's one right. of our it's oldest storytelling texts. You know, the woods, the forest is still there, you know. Wow. And so it would be like a baton from those trees to the new ones. I feel that the work would be handing that heritage, our ancient heritage, in, and, and embedding that into the new the new national forest for Wales, that we don't... It's not just about planting new trees, it's about respecting and caring for this ancient, ancient, uh, you know, ecology in yeah. Wales, and, and globally significant with the moss, it's just globally significant. So it's about remembering that in the planting of the new... So that's my vision, and um, you have to say things out loud to make them real sometimes. Oh, I eh? think that's good. <laughs> and, and if anyone wants to hear that, so, uh, when you go to the Canicoid uh, website, uh, it, you can hear the you can hear the acorn. You, you can you, you, you can, can listen to that, can't you? Um, yes, you need to have the QR code. Right. So the QR code has been at all of these different venues, and it's with yourself. Um, it's when people purchase it through my website. I plant a tree every time somebody purchases one. A tree yeah. is planted. Um, so, you know, it's not readily available. You have to come into the secret pages of my, the secret garden of my website. And this is cherylbeer.com. Com. Yeah. Uh, and then they can come and listen to it. But if they don't, if they want to just listen to it without um, purchasing a QR code, they can go, all of the venues that it's at are listed on the website as well. And of course, they can come here to the garden. Absolutely please. right. Yeah. What an incentive. Cheryl, that's been a fantastic conversation. Oh, thank you so thank much you. for having me, Bruce. I, I, I actually feel proud for you. I think you've done such a great job. And I'm so proud yeah. of you and the work that you've done here. And I just think it's magical. And one day in 100 years' time, when they look back, and see what we did as humans in this now. I hope they see this garden and know the heart and the love that we had for the land. Oh, thank you, Jim.